Once upon a time, long, long before the media led the transgender tipping point of 2015, when Laverne Cox proudly appeared on the front cover of Time magazine, and Caitlyn Jenner publicly unveiled her feminine self and new name on the cover of Vanity Fair, there existed a rich lineage of trailblazing transgender women, or more commonly known back then, transsexuals. In the mid-20th century, that's the 1950s and 60s to be precise, transsexual people were gracing the pages and stages of magazines and catwalks, strutting their stuff to the beat of a post-war world and hot on the heels of the swinging 60s. But you wouldn't necessarily have known it. Although the 1960s are regarded as being swinging, the experience of anyone who wasn't a wealthy, heterosexual, cisgender white man might beg to differ. The decade birthed multiple social and cultural movements, sexual revolution, women's liberation, and civil rights protests, all of which were considered radical at the time. This culminated in the Stonewall Riots in 1969, when people raided New York's Stonewall Inn, again, and trans people of color, quite rightly, kicked off. The rest is well-documented history and is the reason why we have pride today. Politically, at least, the 60s was a decade renowned for punishing anyone who was LGBTQIA+. Let's not forget, in the UK, it was still illegal for men the law didn't include women, to engage in sexual activity with the same sex until 1967. That's only 54 years ago. Therefore, many people kept their identities and sexual preferences hidden for security and to avoid being publicly shamed. Some trans people were not afforded such luxuries. Of course, laws and legislation didn't stop anyone from being and doing who they wanted to. Trans people have existed on the margins of society for quite some time. In the 1920s, sexologist Magnus Hirschfeld was researching, assessing, housing, and supporting individuals who presented homosexual tendencies and or transvesticism, his words at the time, from his renowned institute in Berlin. You could say he was an early ally. He wasn't alone. Alongside him, there was also Harry Benjamin and Alfred Kingsley, two pioneering researchers who paved the way, somewhat controversially, and laid the guidelines for the medical requirements and process of transitioning genders for much of the latter 20th century. I mention this because it's important to consider the cultural and political backdrop where our story unfolds. Trans and queer people were tolerated but not widely accepted, living nocturnally and away from the glare of the authorities. The 1960s were a pivotal moment for trans people, and a British transsexual called April Ashley unwillingly became the cover girl. Welcome to Cancelled. I'm your host, Cam, and this is the show where we look back at some of the biggest and most bizarre attempts to cancel people, corporations, and even countries. You may think the subjects of our very rigorous and academic study deserve public disdain. You may think it's all a gross injustice, but it doesn't matter because all of them were judged in the court of public opinion and ultimately canceled. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold on. And our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. 
And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Hi. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. April Ashley was born in 1935 and grew up in a tough area of Liverpool in a working-class Roman Catholic family. When the chance came to flee, she took it, and at age 14, she joined the Merchant Navy following in the footsteps of her father. After a short and unsuccessful voyage, she returned to land and started dressing in a way that reflected her inner sense of self. In the 1950s, she moved to London before landing in Paris with a job at Le Carousel, a notorious and influential cabaret club where transvestites, transsexuals, and female and male impersonators could find employment. With newfound freedom, Ashley, then using the stage name Tony April, began presenting and performing in her desired gender role, finding her place in the world amongst the glamorous glitterati of chic Parisian society. It was backstage during her time at Le Carousel that Ashley befriended other showgirls who were in a similar situation to herself and learned about sex reassignment surgery, as it was known then. Before the advent of the internet and social media, word of mouth, gossip, and hearsay was how trans people passed on information around the globe. The only way of knowing how to transition was to know someone who had actually been through the process. And it largely stayed that way until the 2000s. At that moment in time, sex reassignment surgery was a relatively modern surgical operation and had only been developed some 40 years earlier in the 1920s. During the 40s and 50s, the operation was knowingly performed on only a handful of people, and the few surgeons offering and performing the service became known worldwide with celebrity-like status to the trans community. In its infancy, it was a risky and painful operation, but the technique that became known as vaginoplasty was considered life-saving for those who needed it. In today's world, so much negative attention is focused on trans people's genitalia that it's understandably the reason why trans people don't want to discuss it. We've come to accept that not every trans person needs or wants confirming surgeries. Surgery is sensationalized and used against trans people to create counter-arguments around care, accessibility, and fertility. In the 1960s, however, a gender transition was considered to be very linear and binary, and the other options were few. Ashley had sought out the holy grail of doctors and traveled to Casablanca to meet with pioneering gynecologist and plastic surgeon Georges Barou. The very next day, on the 12th of May, 1960, Ashley received her surgery. The operation had been so stressful on her body that she lost most of her hair. Ashley was Dr. Baru's ninth patient, and only the second British person to have reportedly received the operation. 
Words like legendary, iconic, and trailblazing could all apply to Ashley, who, you could argue, was only doing what she needed to do to survive. But in doing so, she left a massive imprint on the recognition of future trans people and their rights. Following her transition, Ashley moved back to London and pursued a successful modeling career. She was photographed by Terence Donovan and David Bailey, and according to press reports, turned down Picasso and Dali because they seemed too lecherous. Ashley was Vogue's top model for underwear. She participated in catwalk shows and even landed a role in the film The Road to Hong Kong, which featured star of stage and screen Bing Crosby. Ashley was working hard and enjoying the success granted to very few transsexual women. The discourse around being trans wasn't as out in the open like it is today. If you had been lucky enough to have access to surgery and you went unnoticed in society, you were encouraged to live a stealthy existence, which meant no one should be able to detect that you were trans. Attitudes at the time reflected these fundamental beliefs. Being trans was a defect. Being trans was a mental disorder. Being trans was a fraudulent act. And you'd never be happy you'd never find stability, you'd likely spend the rest of your life alone. Grim, right? But that really was the dominant language around transsexualism. And yet, here was Ashley, the toast of London town, proving that anything was possible. Those who knew Ashley well knew about her gender history and transition. Those who didn't had rightly presumed and understood her to be female, regardless of the fact that she was a transsexual. But then, just as things had begun to improve in her life, her past caught up with her. What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold and breathe? You get into ice water, and instead of, like, freaking out, you relax. It's called the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it. I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body. But there's also a dark side. How many people have died doing the Wim Hof method? We can override even death. Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now. We all have questions that keep us up at night. The self-help industry tells us they have answers. As a journalist and a skeptic, I'm not so sure. So I've set out to talk to people who have gone to radical lengths to find answers. I'm Catherine Rowland. From Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Seeking. On season one, we're diving deep into the portal of plant medicine and psychedelics. Listen to Seeking wherever you get your podcasts. In 1961, Ashley was canceled. It was an extreme act of violence. The Sunday People, a tabloid newspaper in the UK, ran a story on Ashley, sold to them by one of Ashley's close friends for the sum of five pounds, which is around 100 pounds now. The story revealed all the details of Ashley's transition and outed her as a transsexual. It ran with a shocking headline and included a picture of Ashley, too. Although Ashley had never denied her status as a transsexual, she had been fearful that people would recognize her from her performances and wild nights at Le Carousel, and it was only a matter of time before gender identity was revealed. But this wasn't how she expected it to go. She was immediately dropped by her modeling agency, losing all of her modeling contracts. She lost her income for the next six months and was told that she'd never work in England again. On top of all that, and the ultimate in trans erasure, 
Her name was removed from the credits of a recent film, The Road to Hong Kong. Ashley couldn't work. She was told, quote, who wants to employ someone like you, end quote. She knew that companies would not hire a transsexual model because it reflected badly on the products. It's a far cry from today's trans representation in the fashion industry, though. Models like Monroe Bergdorf, Laith Ashley, Teddy Quinlivan, Andrea Payets, and India Moore have all fully expressed their trans identities within the media and have been largely supported by the industry. Instead of Ashley being canceled, the Sunday People, the modeling agency, the film production company et al. would have had to retract their actions or face being canceled themselves. Without an army of Twitter followers to lean on and back her up, Ashley eventually moved to Marbella in Spain and did find work running a successful nightclub, the Jacaranda, with her future husband. The significance of this story should never be forgotten. Ashley was publicly shamed and dismissed in a way that no human being should ever experience again. Although trans visibility and trans representation across the media is now at an all-time high, we are still witnessing similar attitudes towards trans people from those in power, as well as the dismantling of legislation put in place to safeguard trans people. The message couldn't be any clearer. Ashley's story was used to sensationalize and ridicule transsexuals, but she never played the victim card. True to form, she carried on and continued to live the life she'd always wanted to. As it turned out, this was only the beginning of Ashley's story and she would be in and out of the press for the next decade due to her high-profile marriage and subsequent divorce, which is perhaps a story for another time. April Ashley is still alive, and although at 86 years old, it's possible that her headline days are behind her. It's worth noting that Vogue's editor-in-chief, Edward Enenful, reached out to Ashley to be one of the cover stars for its 50th birthday celebration issue in an attempt to amend the past mistakes of the magazine. Ashley declined the offer over disputes about fees, but nevertheless, the incentive was there. Her dismissal at the hands of the media only proved to elevate Ashley's voice and that of other transsexuals into the public eye like never before. Although the actions of those involved were cruel and unjust, Ashley continued with dignity and courage, a testament to her strength and bravery as a transsexual woman. In fact, Ashley was awarded an MBE by Prince Charles in the 2012 Birthday Honors for her services to transgender equality. There used to be a saying in the olden days, long before the birth of content and cancel culture. It went like this. Today's news is tomorrow's fish and chip paper. It's important to remember that cancel culture isn't a phenomenon unique to the 21st century, much in the same way that trans people weren't all birthed in the year 2000. Although in today's world, we have transgender cover stars specifically chosen to celebrate and support the individuals, it wasn't always the case. This should never be forgotten. This episode was written by Rhiannon Styles. This is a Broccoli Production.